Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. we got a great show for you. Yeah. Really excited. We have Michael Moore, uh, who's Michael coming Moore, in yes. studio to talk Into to us. Into studio, yeah. In person. Talk about a lot of things, including a new podcast adventure that yeah, he's doing. called which is Rumble. Super cool. And uh, get his thoughts on the presidential election, which he called correctly last time. Yeah. Which everybody has to remember. Uh, so a lot to get to. So let's let's yeah. start with uh, Republicans, Republicans suck, suck, Democrat Democrats suck. Yes, and also obviously rate and review us. Just got to give right. that shout out. Rate and review us, guys. Just do it. You know what happens if you don't, which is that you let the Pod Save America boys win. Mm-hmm. So for this week's Republicans suck, um, we are going to award it to Tom Fitton, who's from Judicial Watch, right. which is a nice right wing. Organization. So they're, they're an organization that basically does a lot of public legal filings right. to try to get hold of documents. Yes. Actually kind of an interesting group. I mean, they do a lot of stuff that, that people should be doing on the other side. More. Right. Um, I know. It's one of those weird things where it's like we don't want to associate with them. So it'd be nice if people on the left were doing that. Right. But... But they, this guy Tom Pitton, he has a tweet out, and it's just, it's just funny. Yeah. Can we so, see the video? Yeah, let's let's uh, get to the roll videotape. the videotape. Hi, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with the latest on the coup attack targeting President Trump. Well, the House Judiciary Committee did something that will go down in infamy. It passed two sham articles of impeachment and a remarkable abuse of power never seen before in our nation's history. Okay, can we stop? These articles need to be rejected. So we're not okay. even listening to what no. he's saying. No, so let me present. We want to give him a shout out because why he why he sucks is, as you can see, dear viewers and, and listeners will describe it for you. The man is um, has his hands on his hips. And his right shirt cuff is, is there a word for that? I mean, it's, it's, it's. I think he's got a clothesline behind it that's, oh. that's pinching the, the. Oh, you Either do? that or it's rolled up all the way up. But I don't think it's that's It's not the case. rolled. I think maybe he, oh, you think he actually did something there. What we're trying to get at is, is why. That's why, the why, debate. Why is this, the sleeve is just a lot tighter around the bicep yeah. in the, in the, in the, on the one side than it is on the and other side. And you think side. it's an actual clothespin? I don't know. I'm just, I guess that's a conspiratorial I interpretation. I mean, what it could be is, I think it just, he kind of cuffed it up. He like, he, he, he put it up higher. The whole thing is weird. The stance is weird. It looks like he's selling you a product, like an, a seen on TV product. Yeah, no, he's in, he's in a left-handed boxing stance right oh, now. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, so he's leading, you know, he's, jab, he's jabbing with the wrong hand, but the, the, it's just the, I, the bicep is just so prominent yeah. in this. I, I don't know. Look, the man Perhaps. works out. There's nothing we can say. I know. He really wanted to show that off. Yeah. All right. Democrats suck this week. Yep. Repeat what, offender. What a surprise. We got a repeat offender. We, we were going to go with um, Barack Obama talking about how old people need to step aside. Old men, yeah. Old men. He's so woke. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly, which was kind of interesting. But we're back to Neera Tandon, who, who, who tweeted this great thing. Um, what you will never hear on this website, but is true in this poll and in previous ones, Building a wall is more popular than single-payer health care. And she cites a Fox News, something from foxnews.com. Fantastic. There's so much to unpack here, right? Uh, first of all, what is she saying? Build that we should, wall? We should support the wall, I guess. Yeah, I know, or yeah. I think she's, just, she's so vindictive and petty that she's just trying to take a dig at single-payer. Right. I mean, this is also why she was really pushing against single-payer, because she mm-hmm. wants universal health care, which is a very vague, slippery term, which just means that there's access you know one of those other terms like access so she wants like everyone to have the right to be underinsured right also she's wrong about the poll thing yeah i mean you can there, there are numerous polls that i mean there was a <laughs> poll in 2018 uh, yeah. by kaiser i think it was that showed you know their number was 70 percent um favoring medicare for all now that was it was broken down like 42 percent uh, strongly in favor, and then a, a smaller percentage, somewhat. Right. But um, it, it's it's certainly popular. 
the idea yeah. uh, and the, you know for, for her to, to talk about this as being something that's less popular than the wall I, a I don't know what the point of that is and B I know she's I mean what is the point what's the takeaway and again this is someone who will always criticize anyone who says something that anyone on the right says even if we're saying it for very different reasons mm-hmm. right parroting right-wing talking points so what does she think she's doing and and by going on to Fox News of all things right yeah yeah it just it's such hypocrisy she's um, great She's, She's great. so great, and um, I, ho- I hope somewhere in in one of the legalized states that there's a there's a, a Neurotandon strain that pe- that is being sold in what weed mean stores. Strain? Like the like a Neurotandon brand weed. Oh, sorry, weed store. I, I yes, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Also, I like her Twitter feed because you can find a plethora of uh, Iraq War advocates. So she retweets R- William Crystal, Max Boot. She really is the tr- the liberal Trump. She like won't. She doubles down. She tweets at odd hours. I mean, I kind of do too, but I'm not the head of like the biggest liberal think tank. Right. She's the liberal Trump. If, but Trump is occasionally funny. She oh, she's use, the humorless yeah. liberal Trump. I mean, right. she's on. Well, they're both unintentionally uh, funny. But I like it because she kind of she she always like shows her true colors. And she of course like she's, she's passive aggressive. That's she's, what she is. Unlike Trump. Yeah. Like Trump has a real honesty when he goes after like people like Greta Thunberg or whatever. Right. He just kind of lets it all hang out. Yeah. yeah. No, there's, there's uh, she's she's consistent, though. She's she's like she a good consistent. movie villain. I, I, yeah. yeah. So we're, we'll try she's to avoid like her in the future. Bully, right. She's a bully with all these like followers, literally followers right. on Twitter. All right. What do we okay, have? Isn't for, that weird? Uh, isn't that right, weird? I mean, I think everybody saw this. I mean, I think everyone was exposed to this. So we have a uh, heartwarming story about penis fish washing up on a beach in California. Thousands of creatures resembling penises have washed up on a beach in California. The pulsating creatures are fat innkeeper worms, or Orechis caupo. Although they are a type of worm, they are widely referred to as the penis fish. The worms bury themselves deep beneath the sand, but recent storms have uprooted them, and at and Drake's Beach, about 50 miles north of San Francisco, has been covered in the creatures. Can you imagine walking onto a beach covered with penis fish there's this is some kind there's a profound metaphor in here about mm. the insecurity of right. male attitudes yeah. in like the woke era i, I, I oh, don't yeah, know what like, it is like yeah. the, everybody's sort of the penises are washing up on beaches right don't know what to do with Beach ourselves I don't, yeah, I don't know the first image that we see of one i don't know if it's coincidentally extremely <laughs> penile because it even has a testy it looks like a testes <laughs> a testy yeah a testis testis right it has yeah. a testis um and like some interesting kind of like shapes, shaping. We have a great quote from a biologist who said, um, yes, the physical design of the fat innkeeper worm has some explaining to do, but the fat innkeeper is perfectly shaped for a life spent underground, wrote biologist Ivan Parr. Also, it's eaten, um, by the way, it's a delicacy in some countries in, uh, I believe, East Asia. That is a horrid picture. It's like a whole beach beach covered with uprooted penises. I know. Yeah. They're coming out. They're coming up. Again, there's a metaphor in there somewhere. I have to work it out in my head. But is it like liberatory? Are they like coming out in full force and like not silent no more? It's more like an expression of despair. Yeah. I mean, there is something there is a protest quality of all this, but it's it's uh, incoherent. It kind of has a mass suicide vibe. to it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's penises jumping off a cliff. basically. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Can you imagine eating that? I've actually eaten horse penis. In Russia? In uh, Kyrgyzstan. Yeah. What was it like? Not Fibrous? tasty. Yeah. 
but I had to pretend it was good. So, oh my god, yeah. you yeah. were you like, this is the top five best horse penis I've had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this right, right up there with all the best horse penis dishes I've ever yeah. eaten. They so. don't make them like this in yeah. the, the USA. All right, so uh, isn't that terrible? What I've got is uh, drunk, dangerous Santas. Mm. This was Santa, Santa Con. Yeah. So I always thought Santa Con, Santa Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, always for me, like rested on the edge of like funny versus abhorrent. Right. Right. Well, the first time I really, really noticed SantaCon was back in, I think it was 2014. It was after the Eric Garner decision had come and there was a big uh, sort of hands up, don't shoot pro- yeah. protest in, in New York. So I was covering that. Right. And SantaCon was happening at the same time as this anti-police brutality Was that the march. one where they shut down the bridge or a different one? I don't remember, anyway, yeah, but sorry, it was yeah. like a clash of these sort of drunken suburban goofs yeah. uh, and like a very serious thing. And it was just totally, they were terrible. Yeah, right? And then on the way scary. home, somebody vomited on my shoes and that was not good. But I think SantaCon has become this thing that's just out of control. It's just, it's just. I think just, it's been like that for a while. Yeah. But it's it's gotten worse. We had a lot. We have a, some some video from okay. the, the, the recent SantaCon. Con. Can we can we see uh, number number A here? Exhibit A. <laughs> it's the most time the so this is a big Santa fight in the middle of the street. <laughs> oh my God, this is awful. Oh my God, what do you think they did? <laughs> it's nine it's Santas kicking the shit out of each other. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and holding each other up, and then they the bang guy, themselves against a, uh, a car. Yeah, you got a guy. It's it's like a scene out of Goodfellas. One yeah. one Santa grabbing another Santa's head and driving him into a car window. The time to be drunk and out of control and in a Santa costume, I think it, it kind of passed. It tolls after the age of thirty, I think. Oh, I think like ten. Oh, right? you can't drink then. Forget right. that. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, it's a sweet spot. Yeah, you're Can right. we see the next the next one? Santa's jumping turnstiles because that's, that's no good. Because that's what Santa would do. Santa's or Santa Claus people. <laughs> that's scary. And they're saying ho, ho, ho. And then we got one more here. Where the, the, the best part here is the expression of the, uh, on the face of the guy who's in purple. It's a bunch of Santas being jackasses on the subway. Oh my god. <laughs> and there's a guy. There's some elves too, right? Is that, are those elves? What are they even singing? <laughs> so there's I a guy. I, I can't yeah. really even describe what Yeah, there's that a is. guy leaning on um, against the subway door with his hand on the pole, and it's like his head is against the door. He, like he's he's trying to get himself out of the the train as it's moving because he wants to get farther away from the the, yeah. the, the caroling. Yeah. And it, uh, just the caroling has this really wonderfully like negative. Uh, it's not like joyous and inviting. It's. I mean, there is caroling in general that I like. Not this. It could be cute if just little kids did it, but I don't like older people doing it. Right. If little kids just dressed up in, in like a non-alcoholic Santa con, if little kids just, I guess that's called like Halloween. Yeah. Why do I sound like I was raised by like Jehovah's Witnesses or something? And I know, you no sound idea, like you're one of these people who are like, no trapped in one of those Utah <laughs> compounds. Yeah, like I don't understand holidays. It's actually kind of a clever idea. Like if you like, oh, if you put on a Santa Claus costume, um, right. you can act like a complete asshole and right. nobody will, will say anything. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's smart. Yeah. Right? But it's kind of worn thin at this point. Right. Very yeah. thin. Like, yeah. a, like a Santa's hat. Okay. A couple quick updates we got to yeah. get to. Um, Last show we had on... Cenk Uger, right. who's he was running in the for news. Congress. He was running for Congress. A couple of 
really wild news stories. Yeah. Okay, so shortly after we taped our interview with Cenk Uygur. And we, before we released it. And before we released it, Bernie Sanders endorsed and then rescind endorsed Cenk Uygur. Right. Which was very controversial. And of course, the New York Times decided to make an article out of it. It's like, regardless of what you think of him, I don't really care if you like him, you dislike him. You may think he's a good candidate, a bad candidate. It's just, there's been a lot of kind of um, ad hominem attacks on him for saying things in the past that I just think people are being a little bit double standarded. Let's make up that word. They're, they're showing real double standard in terms of what people are allowed to say. Anyway, one of the, the pieces on him was from the New York Times. So you basically, the, one of the things that the, in the Times piece, one of the things they said was that in an interview with David Duke, when the subject of Duke being a racist had come up. David Duke said, I'm not what you call a racist. And Uger remarked, no, no, of course not. And this was done completely deadpan. There was no yeah, sense of as we'll like, see, the right. context. So then it, what, it turns out, and this, this, let's look at the video. The video this, tape, this is yeah. how it actually went. Name me one anti-Semitic I, person. I say that you can't. <laughs> David, how can you think you're not anti-Semitic? How could you possibly think that you think the Jews Jane, control Jane, the world? Jane. That's anti-Semitism 101. Kagan is on the Supreme Court. That's, and when people have a chance to hear me, uh, unmitigated, when they when they hear me uncensored, you know, when I have a chance to lay out the arguments, they agree with my arguments. All right, I, I think we've given you plenty of opportunity here. Whether we should have, of course, is an open question. But uh, again, thank you for joining us. I know you're uh, going to get some problems. I, I think you're courageous to have me on, and and uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've got a, okay. a, a copy, of course, the tape. Okay, it'll go out anyway. But I've been on Meet the Press three times, and okay. uh, if I could be on Meet the Press three times, I think that. Uh, Jink can have David Duke on and have an interview. Okay, well, we uh, did. We did, for better or for worse, we did. Recently, even though, like okay. I said, they still talk about me, Peckley, every day in relation to Trump or relation to the, the guy from Louisiana, mm -hmm. it's amazing that I don't do many national interviews anymore. I think the reason is, is because my arguments are I very compelling to an awful lot of people. Mm, if they sit down and think about what they say, I think they'll be really surprised. Okay. And by the way, you know, I want to make this clear, too. I am not what you call a racist. No, no, I am not, not. No, because no. I believe that every people have the right to <laughs> seek the things. That I mean, he's talking to him like he's talking to like a, a, you right. know, a, a demented child so or something. You can see from this video, Jenk is clearly disagreeing with David Duke. Yeah, vehemently. Vehemently and, and talking to him like he's a kid, like you said, unless anyone thought that that wasn't true. The video that Kyle Kalinske tweeted, you see a mashup of Jank being very aggressive with right. David Duke. In fact, he, and he's doing exactly what everybody has asked the, the media to do, like with people like Trump. Right. Which is challenge them, push Challenge back. them literally every second. Right. Right. And so the New York Times basically parroted this talking point that was tweeted. Right. And then they then it was it was days yeah. Before it was, I think it was three days. Yeah, you tweeted about it, right, Matt? Yeah. It says, correction, New York Times politics. An earlier version of this article referred imprecisely to a remark by Cenk Uygur, um, a, radio a radio host, host running for Congress. When David Duke appeared on his show and denied being a racist, um, Mr. Uyghur, like, Uyghur, Uyghur, like you, like Mr. Just Uyghur, I just can't pronounce that word. Uh, it was sarcastic when he replied, no, of course not. One thing I want to say about this, there's two things. Normally when you make a mistake, um, you can see how they happen, right? So, like, I know how this happened. Somebody just looked at the tweet 
and then didn't check. Yeah. But that's something where you would absolutely need to listen to it. Like, you right. know, especially if you're, if you're going to accuse somebody of making essentially a career ending kind of mistake. Right. right. You know, if you're going to accuse somebody of being a, a racist on the order of David Duke. You really got to be clear about what exactly the situation is before right. you put it out there. And then they must have gotten blow, you know, pushback on this immediately. Yeah, they got tons. Yeah. And uh, and they didn't correct it for for three days. Right. So that's it's it's hard to see how that happens. Yeah. It's not. I normally try to be a little understanding of how sure. journalists because journalists screw up. We, we yeah. all screw up. But that's that was that's a pretty bad. Yeah. One. I mean, it could have been malicious, but we don't know that. I'm just laying out the full range of possibility. It's either a a mistake or it could have been someone, you know, it's not beyond the pale to to think that. I don't as think you would intentionally because because this this ends up looking worse for the times in the yeah, end. I guess I mean, so, yeah. yeah it, Although it, they're so used to just ignoring these things. So you could have seen you could imagine how it could have been kind of a, a gamble. It's like, well, we're not going to have to apologize anyway. And he did literally say that. I mean, I'm being I'm just offering the the counterpoint. Sure. So that happened. Um, that, happened. that was a, a unusual story. Some other things we should we should talk about. Right, situation. we got the most known moments of the campaign. So, uh, this is our second segment on that, right? Right. We started so that tradition last week. We should talk about uh, the poll results, right. which were surprising right. to us. Yeah, very surprising. We offered pe- uh, listeners and viewers the chance to vote on which was the most stone moment, and if we go to that tweet, we shall see what the results were. And the choices were Warren getting a B or Buttigieg saying no, Biden saying here in Iowa, and Booker saying you're possum. And the winner is Buttigieg says no at 38%. And Warren getting a beer was the lowest at 14%. Biden I would have had 28 that. and Booker 20 yeah, I would have thought the results would have been the Almost opposite. the opposite, yeah. But um, maybe it's possible people don't... We're not being clear about the concept. I think when we say most stone moment, I think what we're trying to really express to me anyway is that you, like you almost feel high when you're watching it because it's that confusing oh, and messed okay. up. I don't know. What do you Interesting. Like? Well, if we look at the videotape of when you first said this, I thought it was you were saying that Elizabeth Warren, the idea to do the big structural ballet. Right. Was the was an idea that would come from being stoned. It kind of it kind of amounts to the same thing. Yeah. It's like the whole there's just like stonedness sort of baked into the whole sure, yeah. situation. And and Buttigieg saying no, that was a reference to whether he would let reporters. Yeah. Asked, asked if he would stop taking money off billionaires and closed door fundraisers. Uh, Mayor Pete answers with a curt no. Uh, and this is actually we actually didn't do this one on, on in the show last week. So. Conversation about opening your fundraisers, and that's a question that reporters have been asking for months now. So I'm wondering when do you expect to be to actually have that conversation and give like an answer on that? Uh, again, I don't have a timeline for you. Well, as the, as the candidate, can you just direct your campaign to open this? Yes. And what happens if you don't say? What's that? Why have you done so? Yet? There are a lot of considerations, and I'm thinking about it. Last question. Can you give us an example of those considerations? No. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Can you Thank tell you. us? Can you tell us some of the considerations? No. I love the way he leaves. Yeah. So Mayor Pete uh, goes up. Yeah. In the, in Uh-oh, the, he's soaring in the yeah, polls. Yeah, he's he's going to go up in the in the most stone moments ranking. So when Chris I'm going to re-release the list, we should talk about some of the. Um, we have a couple entrants for this week, so we're yes. going to do a poll question this week on yeah. about these just these two. Yeah. The first is Mayor Pete again. This is Mayor Pete responding to a seven-year-old about reproductive rights. I believe that. That you uh, you make your decision 
on whether you're going to have a child, and and then your your decision is made, and the abortion is not part of it. What do you what do you think about that? Well, um, thanks for first of all, thanks for speaking up about this, and thanks for being here. Um, and I wish I was as tuned in to big issues when I was seven as you seem to be. Um, this is a hard issue for a lot of people because they believe different things. And where I live, people believe different things, um, including people that I respect. But the way I think about it is that this choice, it's about drawing a line. And we might each, following our own beliefs, have a different idea about where to draw the line. What I hope everybody, or at least most of us, can agree on is who gets to draw the line. And that's the person making the decision. That's the woman in question. Okay, how do you feel about that? Because as, as a parent, like, I see a seven-year-old and uh, talking about abortion. And you, and you know, feel like she was set up? Well, I just feel like, it. who's telling this kid about, right. about any of this stuff at that yeah. age, you know? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but it seemed, that seemed, seemed pretty weird to me. Yeah, but it was really, she cracked me up. She was also wearing like a kerchief on her hair. All right. Uh, we also have um, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Who once again kind of teed off on a, on, a, uh, on, a, on a TV host. I'm wondering, is there a priority? It's like a person who has a house, the roof is leaking, the windows are drafty, the door is falling apart. Is there a priority in terms of spending of all of the things that you just ticked off. Yes, and that is asking the billionaires to put in two cents. No, you give me this face, look. And, and that two cents is for what exactly? Now, to be fair, we didn't see her we face. We didn't see the face, So she could have given her like an F-U face or like stuck her tongue out in theory. That's... That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, it's still a little. Okay, we're admitting facts, not an evidence here, because we're we're yeah, we're, we're Russiagating. We're, I'm Russiagating. This it, is yeah. really about the Amy Goodman thing. You know, right. it's a it's a pattern that yeah. she's jumping down the throat of of uh, interview questioners. Yes. The only th reason I think this is interesting is because one of the things that um, happens with presidential candidates when they've been on the, the trail too long, mm -hmm. a, a couple of things happen. Number one is they get tired of ask being asked the right. same questions over and over again, and so they're their patience starts to wear right. yeah. thin to the point where they really can't engage right. Plus anymore. they're tired, right? From they're, they're extremely yeah. tired, like physically. That becomes a serious problem, especially in the general election. You see this, like the, the fatigue and the annoyance factor. So, I mean, it, it's been a problem with a bunch of presidential candidates. I, I think Gore had, had a little bit of a problem with that. Kerry had a problem. Like smart people tend to have a problem with this with this process because they get they get really, really tired of listening to people and they, they're pre-annoyed. Uh -huh. uh, by lines of questioning, um, and if you can tell that Elizabeth Warren is, is starting to have a little bit of an issue with because that. Because you think they're more engaged in the substance, and so they're like they see it as BS as opposed to a more like a smoother politician. Who's well, they, they also just don't really enjoy. Like Donald Trump loves the attention, right. right? So when he goes on television, he like he sort of just gets off on being on t TV. He gets off on being asked about himself. And so it's a it's a fun process for them. Like for certain presidential candidates, it's like going to the dentist mm -hmm. every time they go on the media, and mm, yes. um, and that that is a thing that starts to not be uh, good after a yeah. while. It's just something to keep an eye on with with Elizabeth. Don't you yeah, think? I do. This for some reason, I I was much more sympathetic to her in this one because I guess maybe partly because I agree. I'm admitting my own bias. I agreed with 
Amy Goodman's question. I thought she responded unfairly to Amy Goodman. I don't. Right. I think in this one, it's 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 definitely not good PR. Right. But it doesn't make my moral blood boil. Right. No, no I get way. that. But yeah. Should we do one more quick one? Sure. Let's do uh, Cory Booker crying at the end of his speech. Frank, I love you, man. I love you. And he seemed to be sitting there in peace, and I start to get up, but then he's trying to speak again. And he says the words. Please his last me. one's to me. I love you. So... I want, to, I want to leave you with that, and we'll answer some questions now, but just think about those words, his last words to me, I see you, I love you. He's recounting his, uh, somebody he knew from his days in Newark who was a, uh, like a tenant rights person. Yeah. Uh, and, but uh, I've actually heard the I see you, I love you thing yeah. at the end of his speeches before, so it's not like he was suddenly overcome, right. like this is something that he's... Yes. He's given this, this speech many times, so he's, he's kind of breaking down uh, at the end of this. Right. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. You mean you're suggesting it's slightly distant? It's not the most uh, authentic emotional output? I feel bad. It's, it's kind of um, a feeling a little verklempt kind of a thing. Yeah. But I don't know. I guess it's, 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 oh, it is stoned. You know why? Why? Because he's like, I love you, man. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. We, no, we were just rescued yeah, that yeah, segment. Yeah, yeah. All right, Thank excellent. God, yeah. So, uh, as usual, this is, this is the most stoned moments thing. Check. Uh, Twitter, um, check online. We're gonna, I'm gonna sort of re-release the list yes. on this, and we're, we're gonna have vote, uh, vote yeah. on this, and I'll, and I'll sort of tell everybody where where the overall list is. Right, at and, the end and of the you're uh, are we tweeting it from our accounts? Have yeah, we, okay. so it's Adam Taibbi and at, at KT Helps. Yeah. So um, the debates this week, we didn't know it wasn't clear whether or not there was going to be one because there was a labor dispute. But they've resolved it. Mayor Pete, of course, was the last person to say he wouldn't cross the picket line. I'm sure he was really upset. Right. He probably wanted a one-man debate. That would be an interesting right? performance, yeah. yeah. He could debate himself from when he was younger and cool yeah. and debate himself today. So uh, one of the people who PBS has tapped to be a debate moderator is Yamish Alcindor. So I'm, I was a little bit bothered, disturbed, when I saw that Yamish uh, was going to be one of the moderators because she doesn't have a great record when it comes to covering Bernie. So she's kind of famous for asking Bernie if it was sexist for him not to drop out. Let me just set up how she treats Sanders. There's, there's a lot there. When Sanders spoke at the Apollo during the 2016 primary, uh, she tweeted when she was at this event, this is how she described um, this guy who interrupted Sanders. John Prince, a community activist, interrupted Bernie Sanders to shout about gentrification, okay? But here's the way, here's the actual video, which Real Clear Politics had a video of. Okay, so just to clarify, this is what he said. Uh, as you know, the Zionist Jews, and I don't mean to offend anybody, which is touching, they run the Federal Reserve, they won Wall Street, they run every campaign. What is your affiliation to your Jewish community? So the way that Yamish described that was a community activist who interrupted Sanders to shout about gentrification. Okay. That's it's a, kind of a whitewashing of a very anti-Semitic trope. Yeah, for right? sure. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's like, oh, she didn't, she didn't know that that was a trope. She also then tweeted something else. More of protester John Prince saying he wants to know about Bernie Sanders' ties to Jewish real estate owners. But I'm here to speak truth to power. The giant Zionist Jews own 
But we know the answer. So why doesn't Bernie want to talk about they buying the South Bronx? They play in Monopoly. If you're in Bed-Stuy, Williamsburg, you see them, they play in Monopoly. They're buying real estate and they're selling at 10 times the value. We get it. Jews, Jews running the world, Jew, yeah. Jewish real estate. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's fine to show that stuff, but it wasn't really particularly critical of it. I, it felt to me like, am I reading too much into this? Like, it felt to me she was just like, here he is asking this question. Yeah, no, clearly that's not the way you would really present that. Yeah. You know, uh, I, in fact, I'm not sure why you would even present it at all. Right. It's, it's a bit problematic, right? Yeah. So there's that. Then she also, to be fair, in her article, she did mention anti-Semitism, but it was weird that she tweeted it that way. He, a community organizer interrupting him to talk about gentrification and right. then just tweeting that he wants to know his relationship with real estate. She also then, uh, in 2017, remember there was that shooting where someone who did happen to like Sanders shot some people, including uh, Scalise. Yep. So the way that Yamish covered that story was um, with an article that was called Attack Test Movement Sanders Founded. That was the headline. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. And this was like, this was very much a hit piece. In fact, it was so much a hit piece that we had Brian Fallon, who was Hillary's comms person, tweeted, a hideous act was carried out by someone who backed Sanders. That doesn't mean Sanders incites or condones violence. Here's just one of the things that, that she wrote about the shooter, about the shooting. The most ardent supporters of Senator Bernie Sanders have long been outspoken about their anger towards Republicans, and in some cases towards Democrats. Their idol, the senator from Vermont, has called President Trump a demagogue and said recently that he was perhaps the world, the worst and most dangerous president in the history of our country. Now, in Mr. Sanders' world, his fans have something concrete to grapple with. James T. James T. Hodgkinson, a former volunteer for Mr. Sanders' presidential campaign, is suspected of opening fire on Republican lawmakers practicing baseball in Alexandra, Virginia. So okay, there's a couple of things going yeah. on here. When, when, um, when people cover presidential candidates, one of the most common ways of kind of putting your thumb on the scale is when we, they talk about populist candidates, you know, sort of anybody who is playing to, to uh, you know, the, the people as opposed to being an establishment candidate, mm -hmm. they're always described as emotional. Right? Yeah. So it's always about you're stirring emotions in the electorate. You're, 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 um, you're not connecting with them intellectually. They're, they always use words like um, uh, idle, yeah. right? When, when they're talking about uh, the relationship between peoples and, and the candidate, like there's something, always something unhealthy. Right, messiah. Uh, yeah, messiah like a complex. messiah complex. Whereas if it's an establishment candidate, it's, it's enthusiasm. Supporter, right, enthusiasm, right. right. So um, this is something that, that you're going to see with, yeah. with Sanders always in a, uh, like throughout. And I think we should just sort of accept he's just not going to get a lot of good coverage. Right. Uh, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So basically, we have this person who has a pretty, like, documented record of being unfair to Sanders, who's going to be a debate moderator. Um, she's covered him in ways that kind of downplayed, I would say, the anti-Semitic tropes that were thrown at him. She's covered him in ways that blamed him unfairly, I would say, for a shooting. Yeah. I mean, look, again, people who cover campaigns, they have f feelings, too. And right. they all, everybody has opinions about which candidates they like and which ones they don't like. I mean, right. you know, I, when I cover campaigns, I'm negative about some and positive sure. about others. But you admit um, it, which is nice. I think that the issue with Sanders, to a lesser extent, Warren, I mean, that's, that's going to come into play yeah. with Sanders, Yang, Gabbard, for sure. It's going to be all in one direction yeah. for, the, for the most part, especially when we're talking about debate moderators. You know, yes. pr pretty much most of the people who are moderating debates, they're going to be not terribly friendly to Sanders. Sanders yeah. oh. What's also interesting is that 
um, there was this famous moment during 2016 when Yamiche asked Sanders what he has to say to the people who say it's sexist for right. him not to drop out, which is like a, a, a classic trope of some people say it's a Fox News move, right? Right, yeah. And when she asked him that, she then tweeted that uh, he had a test, he was like, testy he got testy and all these and this is a cool way to see like the media narrative in 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 motion all these other places picked that up in their headline like testy touchy bothered so it became a, a story about sanders being bothered by this question yeah and then just not to interrupt but that's that's yeah. another classic campaign journalism trope that you know, i've written about before um the candidates that we like, we always we describe them as smooth, nuanced, warm. It's always language like that right. that's, that suggests something that's like kind of, um, there's no sharp edges to them. Candidates right. we don't like are pointed, uh, edgy, right, um, angry, right? So Howard Dean got a lot of that uh, back in the day. Uh, Sanders obviously gets a lot of that. It's just another way of kind of telling people, signaling to people that this candidate is is mentally not is not stable. This candidate too divisive, is yeah. This too, one yeah. is the, is the is the warm, smooth uh, one who's able to handle things. Right. And sometimes they sometimes they mix two things. Like there's a legitimate story to talk about, like the the temperament of candidates, because that that can be something that figures into whether or not the person's going to be able to to survive a campaign right. or do well. But but a lot of times when they're talking about edgy and pointed uh, candidates, what they're talking about is the political positions and the rhetoric. Right. They're saying that it's just too divisive. This, these ideas, they're too angry. So that's what they're trying to say, I think, yeah. with, with Bernie. So, Matt, mm-hmm. you Katie. wrote two, not one, but right. two pieces about uh, Horowitz. Yeah, about the the report by the uh, Justice Department inspector general. Yeah, the IG. Michael Horowitz. So there are two big investigations into the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation. There's one that's being done by uh, the Connecticut Attorney General John Durham. It's overseen by uh, by you know Bill Barr and, and the Attorney General. Um, and then there's another one, which is an Inspector General investigation, which is not looking for prosecutions to make, but it's it's basically investigating a couple of narrow questions. Most specifically, he was looking at the question of whether there was political bias that influenced the opening of the Russiagate probe. But m- most of what he was looking at was the, how we got, how they got permission to get a FISA warrant on right. Carter Page, who was a Trump uh, aide, and he found all sorts of problems there. So... What does FISA stand for again? The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which right. most people don't know was passed way back in 1977, which is it's a law that gives the government um, the ability to monitor communications without having to get a public warrant to do it as long as they can assert a national security problem. They can even actually go into your house uh, and not tell you that they've done oh, it. Wow. Yeah, if they get FISA authority, there's a secret court the FISC, the FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, secret judges, you don't know who's sitting on the court. The FBI submits warrant applications to the FISA court, and they're basically never denied. Like in something like 33,000 applications, they've denied maybe half a dozen or mm. maybe a dozen yeah. over the years. Uh, so they always get permission. They got it in this case against uh, the Trump aide Carter Page. And the the major problems with the warrant application were that they used the Steele dossier. And then they also did a really sneaky thing where they double dipped, like they referred to a news article 
that used steel as a source, an unnamed source, and then also referred to steel. Right, and didn't to make tell it look qu- like they're, look, they're citing multiple things. Yeah, but it was really only one right. thing. So he found 17 mistakes overall in the FISA applications, but, um, but there was a lot of stuff, and he testified uh, on the Hill last week. So I, I wrote about that. I, I got a lot of criti- criticism for this because people think that I'm helping Trump right. here. It's really not, a, this is not what that's about. For me, this is really all about, um, you know, so after 9-11, the intelligence agencies, which had been told in the 70s to get out of the domestic politics business, no more domestic spying, no more assassinations, no more secret, uh, you know, warrant authority. Uh, And then after 9-11, they got permission to do all that stuff again. And we gave them all sorts of new tools. Uh, national security letters. We beefed up the, the FISA thing. We, we let them uh, assassinate again. Like we, we, we sort of regranted the yeah. ability, and that now we have this big drone assassination program. And all this stuff is secret. Like for instance, you, you send out a, a national security letter demanding access to somebody's uh, internet account. The the recipient, the company, is not even allowed to tell. Uh, anybody that they've received this letter. They've, they've sent out half a million of these um, since 2001, and they get permanent waivers so that nobody ever hears about them. And so for me, the Russiagate is significantly about these agencies have gotten so used to being able to listen to and monitor anybody and stick their nose in anything that, um, you know, they finally kind of stepped into a place where people care about, which is the the presidential election, and now we're actually going to see what these processes look like. And the report was really, really ugly from that point of view. I mean, did you, did you read some of it, uh, right? Yeah, and I saw, I, I read articles about it, I read yours, and then I saw him testifying. And what did you think about what he was saying? The irony is that these, the response from liberals, quote-unquote liberals, mm-hmm. who are the ones who are accusing Trump of being anti-constitutional, playing fast and loose, destroying our traditions, you know, they have to be consistent. Like if they care about rule of law and they care about international law and they care about democracy, they should care about this stuff. And they, I'm not, I don't expect that from the intelligence people. Right. Um, I do expect it from some liberals who were even mad at Obama when he went back on his word about FISA. Right. Well, they, they, they had the FISA Amendments Act, which was passed during, during his presidency. Yeah, exactly. Like that, That's one of the things that's been troubling about all this is that because it's Donald Trump, because it's Carter Page, who's, you know, for liberals, not a terribly sympathetic figure. Yeah. But the idea that you can get permission to, like, secretly go and listen to a person for a year and have, it, have that permission renewed four times by a court on basically bogus evidence. I mean, it was presented, you know, a lot of what the evidence against this guy was, was in the Steele dossier, which turns out to have been, and that's the other part of this 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 report that was amazing. Like, you know, the P-tape, yeah. that was a big story in this country, right? I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people took it seriously. It really dominated headlines for a long time. We find out in this report that it's based on one subsource in, in the Steele report who completely refuted the story when, when he was interviewed uh, by yeah. the FBI. He said that it was a conversation made over beers in jest uh, and that when Steele tried to get him to confirm it or corroborate it, he said that he couldn't. And Steele says the corroborate, I'm sorry, Horowitz says the corroboration was zero. Yeah. Um, so that whole story turns out to be bogus. And you know, for me, the other part of this is the press like there's lots and lots of stories that came out of all this. It's not just about little Carter Page. It's it's about all the stories that came out 
of the research into this guy, uh, you know, from the P tape to the, you know, the sexual blackmail, the compromise, the, the file on, on Hillary, the idea that um, there was a secret connection between Alpha Bank and the Trump uh, Trump campaign through a server, the idea that the, the Russians vetoed Mitt Romney as, as a yeah. secretary of state. I mean, there are lots and lots of news stories. It all came out of this, and they were leaked, you know, by the intelligence agencies, and everybody ran with it. And now nobody wants to go back and say, okay, that was, that was not good. Yeah, and I mean, I, we say this a lot, or I say this a lot, which is that you don't have to like Trump or Carter Page or any of his you know, lackeys or, or, or people to be bothered by this. Right. That's what's so disturbing. It has nothing to do with it. They're, they're, they're almost irrelevant to the whole story. Yeah, that's the whole thing about liberalism, right? You're supposed to, I may not agree with you, but I'll fight to the death to defend your right to say something. Right. And then, of course, it just makes Trump look better to his supporters, or even, I think, probably people who are on the fence about it. When they see, oh wait, why are these people picking on him? Or they're saying one thing, doing another, and yeah, and that, and that's another thing. So I, I get this all the time from people. They're like, oh, you're helping Trump, yeah. right? You're, and I'm like, well, okay, the CNN, MSNBC, the Washington Post, the New York Times, they gave Trump a huge gift by piling onto all these stories yeah. that blew up on in their faces because he's validating, right? They're, they're validating the, yeah, exactly. the, the fake news thing. Yes. So every time you, you here, here's what happened with these stories that, that was bad, like from a journalism perspective, when the, in the report, it comes out that as early as January, 2017, the FBI had a pretty good idea that the Steele dossier wasn't right or that it was really, really problematic. But months after that, they were leaking to papers like the Washington Post that there was probable cause to believe that, that Carter Page was a, an agent of a foreign power. So months after they knew that that probably wasn't true, or was at least very questionable, they were telling this to reporters. Reporters were running it, you know, because they, they couldn't see the source material and they didn't bother to demand it. Yeah. They ran it, and for years now, that's the stories were out there, and now they don't want to go back and fix it. And Trump supporters are going to look at that and say, you know, these people just aren't, you know, they're not going to be fair. They're not going to be right. And so yes. it's a win for, for them. Uh, it's also not fair if they care so much about helping Trump. Like, it would be nice if people like you didn't have to focus on this and could focus on the things that Trump is doing that is, like, you know, illegal or immoral or wrong. Right. Instead of having to, which you should, and people need to do this and journalists need to do this, and instead of, like, checking other the work of journalists, which is irresponsible, like, they're forcing us to not defend Trump, but kind of defend certain processes. Right. Processes. Uh, and so if they really cared about, like, I'm happy to go after Trump as a... Progressive? Hunt. Yeah, progressive, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, I would love to be talking about him cutting off food stamps yeah, or food selling stamps, weapons to exactly. Saudi Arabia, yeah. the tax NAFTA cut, 2.0. NAFTA 2.0, the uh, stupid Space Force thing, yeah. you know, the, the $750 billion right. defense budget. We could be talking all about all that yes, stuff. Yes, exactly, I which mean, would actually be not only morally compelling, but actually effective in terms of the resistance. Yeah, and, and we, I think we all thought this after 2016, that after Trump won, there would be this big come to Jesus moment right. that we would, that the, the party would focus on stuff that mattered. Instead, they poured all their energy into this thing, which is blowing up in their faces. And, you know, I, I have to admit, like, I personally, it just drives me so crazy to follow it that I've probably over-focused on yeah. it a little bit. But It's like me and the Bernie Bro stuff. Right, yeah, exactly. But it's, when you do that, when you do stuff like that, it's not like people don't see it. 
they yeah. they see it and it, it's it's why this isn't moving the needle for for, for people right, you yeah. know so w- one last point about this which i think is is important and really the the horowitz report really speaks yeah. to um when you talk about the enhanced tools that we gave to the intelligence community during the war on terror period one thing you have to understand is none of them are really applicable unless you can assert a connection to a foreign uh, threat. Yeah. Right. So all these these tools we give them to listen to us secretly, to demand access to our emails, send these national security letters to get access to our you know to our medical records, bank accounts, whatever. They have to be able to say there's a foreign threat there, whether it's terrorism or some other foreign thing. So this RussiaGate is kind of a uh, it's kind of a poster child for how they do this, right? Without the Russia angle, there you can't domestically spy. You can't you yeah. can't get secret authority to listen to somebody like Carter Page. And so right. this story it has to be yeah. If you sure. notice, a lot of the action takes place overseas. Yeah, there are there are incidents in in Great Britain. Uh, you know the yeah. the. The, the thing that precipitates the whole investigation is a, a conversation in a bar in London. Um, there's there are all these foreign connections that come into play. There's two things about that. One, it gives them the authority, which I just mentioned. The other thing is counterintelligence investigations. The the judicial review is a lot less, right? Like if you're you're trying to get discovery in like a criminal case, all they have to do is say that's a national security thing. We can't turn uh, that over, right. right? So once they put it in that part of the investigative uh, world, you can't see it. It's not, a, it's, it's not visible to the ordinary person. Like a judge can't or, order them to tell you, um, you know, what, what their reasons were for getting a warrant or this or that. That's why this story, I think people won't see it yet because it's about Trump, but it's going to be highly illustrative of problems that we're going to have later when, the, when they, they do this too much. They already do it too much with foreigners and yeah. and Muslims and all kinds of other that, people. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It also kind of highlights how casually accepted and acceptable Islamophobia is, especially among people who like to pride themselves for being open-minded or woke or tolerant. Right. Um, it really is. It's just kind of baked in there. They don't even, I don't think they even think about it. Right. I mean, I, th- I think if you're, for most Muslims in this country, the idea that they can, people can go in and listen to you or, yeah. or, or check your bank accounts or your medical records or whatever it is, they, like they accept that. They understand that. Yeah, because that. it was so disproportionately used against them. Right. But uh, this is the first time that I think for a lot of, for a lot of sort of middle class white Americans, they for the first time they've really seen this. Yeah. And so it's a new story to them, and we're we're just digesting it on partisan lines. Yeah, exactly. Because if you don't like Trump, you don't care. Right, but later, eventually, people it are going to care out. about this. Yeah, I, I come guarantee. Back to bite you in the ass. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you're getting a lot of love for that beast. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Hate, why do people talk to you on Twitter like they know you or you know them or you're invested? They're like really mad. I used to respect you, but this what oh, happened yeah. to you? It's so condescending. Yeah. What happened? To, what happened to you? No, I get I get that a yeah. lot, but you know, look, this is. It, it's just one of those things that happens like yeah. you know also another thing people don't realize we can only really focus on a couple of things yeah. like there's only only so many really complicated stories you yeah. can really follow at any one time so you know this this I've spent a couple of years on this it's just This is your beat kind it's of It's one of my beats yeah so So on today's show we have a very exciting interview Very exciting Michael Moore yeah, filmmaker fantastic. you may have heard of him Do you see Roger and me so I saw Roger and me like a, like a million years yeah. ago when I was in Russia, believe it or not. And um, I just remember never being angrier than I was after I watched that movie. I think a lot of people had that experience. Uh, so a great pioneering, kind of groundbreaking movie. And he's made so many uh, great ones since then. I, in fact, I really liked some of the more recent ones. 
Fahrenheit eleven um, like, nine was great. Yeah, when do we invade next? Or, yeah, where uh, to maybe, invade next? Where, where to invade next? That they thought was a really cool movie. That I want to looking forward to asking him about. Yeah. All right, terrific. So let's let's talk to Michael Moore. So I have an apartment in Michigan. I have an apartment here right. on the Upper West Side, and and my apartment here is on top of a movie theater. And my apartment in Michigan is two doors down from the movie theater that I <laughs> restored and now run for the town. Oh, wow. Like a nonprofit movie palace. Oh, that's excellent. Um, so you're on 84th or 68th? Yeah, the Lowe's 84th. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I grew up on 78th, so. Um, I think I may have seen, how long have you been there? Uh, which slippers were I wearing when you saw me there? I remember, <laughs> you know? but am I, is this a fake memory? Or no, it's not a fake memory. I actually, um, after I sold Roger Me to Warner Brothers, yeah. Um, I, I, a third of the money went to taxes, a third of it, I set up a foundation to help other filmmakers out. And then I kept the, the final third and, and bought the apartment at that time, which was, geez, I don't know, $300,000, some crazy number, which was crazy at that time for me, because I had just finished my stint on Michigan unemployment. So I was making $98 a week. So any, any of this, this money was just so crazy, but no, I bought an apartment in there and, and then um, six years later moved in uh, upstairs a few more floors and have just, and have kept it because I've tried to work in Michigan doing what I do. It's hard to find, you know, the crews and a couple of films. I've actually moved the New York crew there for a year. Oh, wow. Flintstone, right? Flintstone, yeah, Yeah. I like that. Oh, wow, yes. Well, that would be a... Full-grown bottle of water. Well, yeah, if you ever do go to Flint, I'm sorry to say, you do have to be careful about uh, the water, and and you have to bring in your own bottled water. Uh, I would never drink. And I wouldn't eat food that was prepared with water there either. The, the thing that you'll hear in the news is that they are fixing the problem. They are tearing out the old pipes and putting in new ones. But the, the, what they're tearing out are the pipes going down the middle of the street, the big, what's called the main line, the main right. pipes. But every house has a series of pipes going into each house. And there's and then, no way they're going to be able to. And they're ruined. And then there's all the internal plumbing that is ruined inside each house. It's such a catastrophe. It can be fixed. We know right. the science. It's not rocket science. It's just plumbing. It's it, money. Yeah. But it's money. Right. And really, do you want to spend that kind of money on a black city? Right. I mean, right. Seriously. Yeah. Come on, fellow it's Americans. Really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and they're black people. There was like, they're, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? You know, and well, this they're already a, doing it. They're, yeah. They're, they're, you, you've already poisoned their children. Yeah. They already feel such despair um, and the sense of having any power. You know, African-Americans, especially in places like Flint and Detroit, um, don't have the money to contribute to candidates, don't have the money, don't have the means to to have any real say in the way we structure our political system. So trust me, and I don't know if you know other what other cities are like, the wealthier cities in Michigan, but if if the water had been poisoned right. in Bloomfield Hills or Gross Point, Gross Point yeah, or yeah, Ann Arbor, yeah. Yeah. trust me, this would have been fixed within 30 days. Yeah. And somebody would have gone to prison right. Right. for it. So the fact that no one's gone to prison, the fact that the, the water is still messed up, um, it's, such a, uh, it's such a heartbreaker for me. I, I don't know what to do about it. I even, I remember a couple years ago, I really thought, you know, I should just see if Trump would privately meet mm. with me. And I would go in there and I would say to him, okay, look, you and I are about as opposite as things can get. And my mission is to remove you from this house that you're currently occupying. But 
if you'd like to be remembered for something yeah. good, you know, if there's one thing you know, it's construction. You know, I, I even I even have a belief that you could operate a backhoe. You know, you should <laughs> go to Flint and announce that you are here to fix this problem. You could even pitch that to Trump as yeah. as a win over the Democrats. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. You could be like a humiliate Obama when he when he went there and said the water was good. Yeah, yeah. why do that? Why do that? Why help out this Republican right. governor who hopefully was or still is on his way to prison for this? Why? You know, and all I can think of from just from what we know about Obama and from me having you know read both of his books is that he's very much of the sort of an sort of an elevated Rodney King method of can't we all get along and that you know at various points in this in this water poisoning in flint people it's been pretty close to a bit of a rumble so to Mm -hmm. speak no pun intended for uh, what i'm doing now but but it really the potential for violence the potential for an uprising i don't i mean i don't know if either of you have kids but uh you have okay so, so yeah, if, if uh, how old is your child or children? Six, four, and two. Six, four. Okay. So tonight, I sneak in into into the house, and while you, you uh, are asleep, um, I poison all three of them. Yeah, okay. wouldn't go over well. Yeah. Wouldn't go over well with you, would? Right. What yeah. would you do to me? I'd, yeah, if, it would be totally irrational. Let's if you walk, if you woke up and saw me there poisoning the kids, kill you probably. Well, I, I think you have a legal you. right to kill oh, me. Oh, yeah. I think you do. I hope you wouldn't, but right. nonetheless, that the fact that just think about this that that all these parents have had their kids. You know, when I say when I'm why I'm focusing on the kids is that right. lead in water under the age of six years old causes such permanent brain damage. There is no way to reverse it. There's no medicine to take. There's no there's no nothing. There, these kids are damaged. One of the big ways that they're damaged is they lose 10, 20, 30 points in, of their IQ. That, that will be that way for the rest of their lives. As they're going into adolescence, they're going to have a lot, there's going to be a lot of emotional things uh, being triggered by the lead uh, that's in their system. And, uh, and so the parents, the schools, are going to, they'll have various discipline problems that they otherwise wouldn't have had yeah. um, if these kids hadn't been poisoned. I just don't understand how it is that it's one thing if it was an accident. Okay, so let's impeach the governor for incompetence. Sure. But once the governor knew, once he was told that, that the water was poison, at that very second, he, he had to have, he, the, his responsibility was to order a shutoff of the water. Yeah. Right. And, they, and to get the, bring in the Army Corps of Engineers, bring in the large water horse trucks, what they call, uh, that, that just are nothing but water. And, and these trucks essentially would go up and down the streets every day, filling up water tanks. For people so that they would have fresh water at the very least um that didn't happen once the governor knew once the governor's people knew yeah. they decided to keep quiet about it and uh, again i i can't get around the racial right. uh, uh explanation for this that had these been white people had these been white people with money your self-interest if you were a, a government person in charge of this stuff just your self-interest Career would be like i am going to get for this because white people with money fuck you and you're going to you're going to act immediately but black people with no money what's going to happen to me 
I mean, I'm not saying they want black people yeah. poisoned, but it's kind of like, okay, we've got some time. We'll figure this out. We'll keep it quiet. It's not and urgent. Not urgent. No. Why would it be urgent? They're black. Yeah. That you was. Know? That and, was. And I'm sick of. I'm just. I yeah. refuse to participate in post-racial America. I refuse yeah. to say because we elected Obama that suddenly that means everything's okay. White people have changed. White people have not changed. The, 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 Two-thirds of all white guys voted for Trump. That means anytime you see three white guys walking at you down the street toward you, two of them voted for Trump. You need to move over to the other sidewalk because these are not good people yeah. that are walking towards you. You should be afraid of them. And the on third one probably says, I'm thinking about voting for Trump. Right. Yeah, the, th- well, no, no, the third one is, yeah. is you yeah, and me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We're like, we're traitors. We're traitors to our race. That's how they see us, too, by the way. Right. You know, we, we were thinking, we're, 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 we've been debating whether or not to go to Trump's rally in Battle Creek, Michigan tomorrow night. Um, I love that it's in Battle Creek. Yeah. Right. But, uh, but, you know, I know Battle Creek really, really well. It's the city that. That invented breakfast, as we know it. Yeah, it's on the back of every cereal box. Yes, right? oh, both Kellogg's and Post wow. are there uh, in Battle Creek, and uh, so we, we actually got tickets uh, to get in. And and to, have you been? I mean, when was the last time you were you were at one? At a, at Trump a Trump rally? rally? Yeah. Well, uh, this is a longer story, but we we my crew we the very first one he had to announce he was running in 2020. In the beginning of 2017, one month after he was inaugurated, he had that first big rally down in Florida. So I set my crew in there. I, knew I, I probably couldn't have snuck in there because I still look the same way I've always looked. <laughs> yeah. So, but they went in there and they, they filmed, they got some incredible footage. And a year or so later, when the, the mail bomb guy from Florida was sending mail bombs to, yeah. the, to the Obamas and the Clintons Soros and, and Robert De Niro and Soros and all this. And he had a big picture of me on the side of his van with a bullseye over it. Not just me, but others. And frankly, to be honest, uh, out of um, respect to him, uh, while everybody else had the bullseye over their face, he put it over my shoulder. (laughs) And I thought, okay. So, and two things I thought. Number one, that's a really good picture of me. It's hard to find a decent picture of me. So he picked a good picture, and then he didn't put the bullseye over. He put it over here. So it's twice. So... Two solids. Two solids on that. and um, But then uh, one day at this apartment uh, above the movie theater up, uh, here in Manhattan, where I have my New York uh, apartment, there's a call from uh, downstairs that says, the FBI is on their way up. And I'm like, oh, no. What, you know, I'm like, you just, what do you think? If you heard that. What's, I did something wrong, and they, yeah, they've got me. They've got something. me for something yeah, I didn't do. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's Trump time. There's two FBI guys and a New York City detective. They said, can we come in? And I said, first mistake, yes. No, you never say yes. Step out in the hall and talk to them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they come in, and they said, okay, look, uh, here's the deal. You know, we just arrested this man. Um, and. Um, but you look great in his photo of you. Which they mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they saw they saw it too because they were now looking at me in person and they're thinking, "Well, this isn't the same guy on the van. He looks fucking great." <laughs> so, so, so I said, um, "We're just we wanted to check to see if you've been sent your bomb because it's clear he's sent you a bomb because we've got his computer and there is more research on you than anybody else. Wow, that's pictured on his van and more than anybody else who's actually re- already received the wow. bomb." Yeah. So they had already gone down to the, um, uh, what's that on 83rd Street between Columbus and Amsterdam? There's a postal station yeah. for the Upper right, West Side. Yeah. So they'd already gone down there to take the dog, dogs and sniff around. And 
uh, talk to all the postal workers, what to look out for. Um, they wanted to know where else, who, you know, what other addresses he would have. And I said, well, my, um, you know, uh, I gave him family members. Yeah. I gave him my, so my apartment in Michigan. Um, I gave him uh, my agents. Uh, and then I stopped for a second. I thought, you know what, don't bother with the agent. Right. If the bomb goes there. That's, that's really where it's supposed to go, right? Yeah, right. I mean, You're like, in fact, here's, let me make sure I put down yeah. the right suite number. Yeah, yeah. Or they, they got the name. I don't want to make sure he's got the name spelled yeah. right. Right, you know, yeah. The 10% comes back to me or the yeah. other. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that'll all get lost. I will, whatever I'm making this year, I figured I'm going to keep. Because <laughs> in the tragedy, in the wake of the tragedy, there's no way they're going to be worrying about collecting their 10%. Yeah. So, so, so anyways, they couldn't find uh, the alleged bomb. Wow. Um, and they they were kind of stunned by it. Um, but I said, but the guy's a fuck up anyways, right? Because he he didn't know how to build a bomb. Right. No bomb went off. There's probably a few Michael Moores in the country. Do you think maybe it's a, it's, it's a quite it's quite a common name? Yes. Basil, my producer, said that. You know, I wonder I wonder if he was at any of the Trump rallies that we went to. That uh, maybe we filmed them. They start going back through the footage and. Damn, if he wasn't right there in the front of really? the rope line. Really? Screaming for Trump and, you know, make America great and, and all that. There he is, right there into our camera. And it was like, wow, this is really something. So anyways, I wrote a public letter to him. I didn't know how to get a letter to him. They, they were holding him here uh, in the Jeffrey Epstein Memorial Jail in downtown Manhattan. <laughs> um, and I just, I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll send him a uh, I'll send him a letter, and basically said, "Hey, you know, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, you know, I'd like to I'd like to know why I ended up on this list because I've been on other lists before. Uh, there right. was one time there was a a guy who was uh, was building a fertilizer bomb to blow up my home in Michigan, and um, when they raided his place, I was on the hit list. In fact, I was at the top of the hit. List. In fact, in his diary, he actually called it hit list." Uh, it makes it easy to, yeah. to find, you know. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, like, when I make lists, I have, like, codes. Yeah. Like, so First you'll never know. Hit list, right? yeah, yeah. Like, who's on this list. Yeah, right. you know, put my criminal conspiracy yeah, exactly. list number one, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, make it easier for So them. on hit list, so I'm at the top of the hit list. So it's it's Michael Moore, uh, Janet Reno, huh. Bill Clinton's uh, attorney yeah, general, Hillary Clinton, Rosie O'Donnell, and me. Well, my first question when the cops showed me this was, how do I make the lesbian list? <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I mean, I'm honored. Don't yeah, get me yeah, wrong. I mean, it's a good list to be on. It's yeah. a great list to be on. But seriously, and how, why am I at the top of the lesbian list? And, and of course, for people who are listening to this, you're wait a minute, Hillary's not a lesbian. Right. I see, I know, I see, I'm making fun of all the crazy right-wingers yep. who like to think of her and talk about her in that way. So I'm, right. okay, It's a use good. of irony. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's yeah. irony. Right. And um, I, you know how you have to... Have to yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. What's all, we have the woke button. You want it? You can hit it. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah, so you're gonna... It's funny when you say that about irony. Um, uh, the first time I was on TV was on the Today Show with Roger and me, and it was Jane Pauley's uh, second to last day as host of of the show. And uh, so we're in a commercial break. They've sat me down. I'm really nervous. I've never been on national TV before. She leans over to me. Now, her husband is Gary Trudeau. Right. Yeah. Doonesbury. Mm-hmm. And she leans over and she says. My husband uh, wanted to tell you that he's sorry, but you're going to have a very hard time if you continue to make movies like this. Wow. And I said, why, why would he, why, why, why do you say that? She said, because 50% of this country has no clue when the ironic statement is made. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and you, are, you have just chosen 
I said, oh, I, I know exactly what you're saying because I, I literally grew up across the river, across the lake from Canada. And, of course, Canadians are great satirists yeah. and, and all you know, those famous, use irony yeah, and right. all the time. So so we would watch Canadian TV, and I and, and I think whatever that was that I understood, I understood from growing up yeah, so CTV close. CTV and all that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. so close to Canada yeah. and to Canadians. And I had Canadian relatives, too. And, and they're very dry, their sense of humor. Yeah. It's, it's not our sense of humor. Right. It's more of an Irish, British Droll. Some sense of humor, yes, yes, and vicious without seeming to be vicious. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, actually, I wanted to ask you about that because, you, like, a lot of your you've talked about this in the past. I mean, obviously, you you, you do a lot of tough subjects in your movies, but you always use you make a point of using humor, yes. right? Like, how how important do you think that is in order to get people to pay attention to something they otherwise wouldn't? Oh, I think it's critical. Take in. I think it's one of the best vehicles to help deliver whatever message it is you're trying to deliver. There's enough darkness in this world. And we are really in a dark, dark time. Um, so people get it. They're depressed. They're depressed enough with what they're with. I mean, if you've traveled the country, the despair, that the malaise that extends across this country, it's, it's, I see it all the time. And I'm, I spend a lot of time, and I occasionally miss, will miss a connection in the airport because people just want to talk. Oh, yeah. And, and so I've known for a very long time, and, and maybe this is part of the Irish that comes from my family, that, um, that you learn to have a, a sense of humor in order to deal with the tragic thing we call life, especially if you grew up in that kind of Irish household. I also saw that, that, that um, if I developed a good enough sense of humor, I wouldn't need as much alcohol. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was just kind of. It saves money. Right? It yeah. saves yeah. money. And liver. And liver. And you've seen a couple of the uncles and what happened to them. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, um, let's work on the sense of humor uh, a bit. But no, it's an important vehicle. And I wish more documentary filmmakers yeah. would use uh, humor because the, the subject matter is often so intense, so heavy, so bringing people down and, 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 it it doesn't work if you've made a film about an important subject and they leave the theater or they turn off Netflix and all they want to do is go get a drink. Right. They want to immediately forget what they just saw. Or right. they don't want to see it. Like or they, it's or not, they, they don't, don't want to listen to it or they're not drawn to it. They, the so place. they just turn it off right away. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've, I saw early on when I was young, and I think any of us who went to high school – wouldn't you rather have been invited over the table where everybody was laughing? Right. Right. Where, where there was one cut up after another, one joker, one, totally. you know, one Weisenheimer after another. And as opposed to you look over at the depressing table <laughs> with those <laughs> gloomy, sad faces. So I, I think a, a good way to reach people is, is, is with humor. Oh, geez. I, tr you know, I, I'll tell you a story I probably shouldn't tell, but I, um, I won't mention any names other than Hillary's. Because um, I thought the way to win this, in part, would be during the debates, because Trump has such thin skin. Yeah. And because it's not a rally. He won't be able to control uh, the microphone. If Hillary would just, if she just, if we gave her, like, a hidden comedy shiv, just <laughs> some, something that where she could just go under that thin skin and just have him implode live on national television. It would be not only great TV, it would show Americans, oh, wow, he is unhinged. Like, 
Man-child. Man-child, but just totally, boy, he, I don't know, actually be dangerous because he does not like to be humiliated. Yeah. And this would be a humiliating thing. So I called up three, I'm not going to mention their names because we all promised to keep this quiet. We offered this to, to Hillary and her people that we would do this quietly. Nobody would know. We would write lines for her. We would do, we would help with the debate prep. She had political people writing lines and things. How about... How about myself and some of our top satirist yeah. comedian types? And and all she's got to do is land one or two of these, and boom. And they turned us down. They turned us down. They were so afraid that if it ever got out, because this comedian's dirty, okay, right. and that comedian has said that once, and that, you know, and, well, she's a woman. I mean, she shouldn't be talking like that. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you remember what any of the lines were? Do you, do, did, did you have any of them written? And then she went to Howard Stern. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know what? If you ha- yes, I, I, I have this written down. I haven't, I haven't looked at it or thought about it for a while, but, it, but we all thought that um, the way to approach this is don't take the normal route. Like, we got to get him to show his tax returns. Get, yeah. uh, give up on that. This is, this is one, if this was going on this year, this is what I keep hearing right now. Just wait till Elizabeth Warren is on the stage with him during the debate. And I'm like, are you, are first you of kidding? All, well, first of all, the fact that you think there's going to be debates. Yeah. Uh. There's not, he's not going to debate anybody. He so knows his game. And we're still playing the old game. Right. Yep, there's going to be three debates. And yeah. uh, are you fucking kidding me? Anybody out there who's listening to this who thinks there's going to be a debate, that this is going to be a normal year, 2020, think again. This is how he pulls off his victories, too, because he we don't see him coming. We don't know what the plan is. I'm telling you, I know this guy. Yeah. And and there will he's not going to he will come up with a reason. Whoever the candidate is, is is treasonous, a traitor, anti-American. You know, it'll, it'll be that or there'll be a national crisis, an emergency. There will be something. But he is above debating anybody anymore. And he will never allow the control of that microphone switch to be in the hands of anybody but himself. Because when he's in control of it, he's a genius. Yeah. He is a, you must know this, you, you, this is your world. His, his understanding of the room, his way to read yeah. the room and his performance. Yeah, he's totally, it's like a brilliant stand-up. Is, it's to, and he's, he's worked on energy, it. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about this, he's very yeah. Borscht Belt. In yeah, his, uh, yes. Riffing yeah. and yeah. yeah. He comes out in his costume, he's wearing a thug trench coat. You know, he's where I, it's like I, I, he's, he wants to look like a mafia don. Yeah. And the way he now prances on the stage, the way he does mic drop, the way he he's got it all yeah. down. Yeah, he, um, he does a Mussolini thing where he turns yeah. to the side. Yes. Kind of paces back. Yeah. yeah, that's like a thing that he's developed. I'm just waiting for just to fold yeah, the yeah, arms like, like yeah. Mussolini. To, yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> like I am. Yeah. <laughs> You were one of the first people, though. What did you see in the summer of 2016? Because, you, you know, I was one of the people covering the campaign in a sea of pundits whose job it is to predict, to predict what happens in elections. Literally none of them saw what you did. So what, what, what were you seeing that summer? I mean, you talked about it somewhat, but there was a complete swing and miss on that issue among the professional punditry class, and you got the stuff that nobody else did. Well, because I spend a lot of time in my other apartment in Michigan, um, Trump signs were everywhere. I didn't see any Hillary signs. I found out later that the campaign in Brooklyn wouldn't send signs to Michigan because, as it was explained to me later after the election, they were afraid that if too many people saw 
Hillary signs, it would remind them, the Trump people, that they got to get out and vote. And it would inflame the Trump. The, Is that a real thing? That actually, they actually yeah, told that you? Yeah, actually, that actually happened. I can't believe they lost. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> what a shock. <laughs> no, it's right. It's it. Um, so she didn't visit Wisconsin at all. She came to Michigan maybe once or twice, but basically stayed away. Here's the thing. She lost Michigan and Wisconsin to Bernie in the primaries. Right. If you lost those two states in an election of voters of your people, Democrats, wouldn't that be the first place you go to once you've got the nomination? Go right to the people that didn't want you and convince them to want you. The fact that so many people stayed home and what the, what the statistics I think have borne out is that especially African-Americans in all three states who are fed up with being lied to for so many years, with nobody coming to help, nobody to the rescue in Detroit, uh, into the into neighborhoods in Milwaukee and Philadelphia. She lost these three three states because the Democrats had not been there fighting the fight and making things happen. If you were African American, so what happened in so Philly, Detroit, Milwaukee? There's your three cities and your three states. She lost Michigan by about two votes per precinct. That's it, 11,000 votes. It it never should have happened. And, and even Trump was surprised that he won. Yeah. I mean, he was surprised that he, he won. He thought it was going to go the other way. When he kept saying the, the election was going to be rigged, Right. he, in his own narcissism, absolutely believed that the majority of people wanted him and he'd win the popular, popular vote. vote right, but, but the Clintons and their evil, nefarious you know, uh, people that are in their cabal, they would rig it so that Hillary would get the Electoral College. Right. And the majority of Americans, who of course wanted him, would be outraged. And that's when he made his famous statement to my Second Amendment people, get ready. Right. Because right. we're going to need you. That right. scene in um, Fahrenheit 11.9 when Obama goes to Flint, yeah. I don't think I knew about it when it happened. Did you Did you know yeah, about it? It no, was like big news. I don't know covered. if I... It wasn't covered It, it wasn't much, covered, it, right? It, that was, that was a, I mean, that, that video, the, the reaction to it, I mean, that, that was a powerful moment. Yeah, I, that was a, I was... I couldn't believe it. It seemed so nefarious. And it's such a perfect metaphor for what you're talking about, which is how this failure, this utter failure by the Democrats... To, to come, to show up, or if they do show up, to be honest or to advocate for people. Right. It was just like the perfect... I mean, has anything changed since... I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the right. question. Like, they, the, the, the mistake that they went into with 2000, 2016 that caused that lack of engagement, has they, have they done anything? No. And in fact, the we voted out the Republicans out of the state capitol last November. And we voted out the two Republican congressmen in suburban Detroit. We booted them all. And we did that because we got two ballot proposals on there. This was our way of thinking. And I hope people are doing this in some of these swing states for this coming year. We did with ballot proposals. So we wanted to get the youth vote out. So we, we got a legalized marijuana hmm. ballot, not, not medical marijuana, all this bullshit, just full on, <laughs> just yeah. full yeah. blast, you know, yeah. high speed, you know, high octane, yeah. legal marijuana. That passed by about 60%. We doubled the number of young voters from the last off-year election in 14. Um, they, they, I mean, they came out in droves for this. The other ballot proposal was a constitutional amendment to make essentially gerrymandering illegal. That it would be a crime if you did any voter suppression or gerrymandering, especially if it was done on the basis of race. 
that there were provisions to deal with you. And it completely changed also the electoral system in Michigan. There would be same-day registration. There'd be none of this prove that you're a voter, prove you're a citizen, all that gone. It made it very easy from now on for, for people to vote. And it set up the commission that's going to take the 2020 census in Michigan. And it, it is a completely nonpartisan group of people that, uh, uh, that has to be, you know, it's, it's like, I think it's um, five and five. You get to, you, the parties get to recommend, but you have to vet them and you have to prove that they're not partisan. And then there's five more, I think, that, they, that that body will pick of them for themselves. Um, but it's set up to, to redraw these maps in a, in a fair way. I mean, and in fact, I, I did this film, Where to Invade Next, and I, there's, I went to like right. 10 countries to show how they do things better, really, good, yeah. really simple. Um, and I, we went to Austria, um, but it's not in the film. Austria, like a number of countries, has lowered the voting age to 16. Mm -hmm. And it's had all these wonderful Im impacts and effects. Mainly, what happens is by starting voting in, at 16, while they're in high school, the teachers bring in candidates, they have debates, oh, they, have, they sign them up to vote. They do all this stuff while they're there in school. And what they find, you know, so Austria's done it, Scotland's done it, Brazil's done it, uh, Nicaragua's done it, um, um, you know, a few other countries I, I can't think of right now. They have found in these countries that students who start voting at 16, a larger percentage of their 18 to 25-year-olds show up on election day than in the countries like ours where, it's, where you don't vote till you're 18. Right. So it starts them out being uh, right, yeah. it sets the, the pattern to the sets habits, a habit yeah. while they're at that age it's why in most states other than new york city here but most like where i'm from you know you take driver training when you're 15 you right. get a permit and then you get a license at 16 why do why do we let these little kids drive yeah. these cars well in part because we need to guide them while we have them in school to right. try to make them decent drivers. Yeah, so they can take driver's ed or yes, like they, their well, parents yeah, the, or their The school else's district parents, yeah. pays for the driver's ed. It, we, the community sees it yeah. as for its own public safety, yeah. uh, right. for the public good, uh, that we should teach that in school and we need them to start driving when they're 16 so they're better drivers by the time they're out as adults. I only have my learner's, learner's permit, so it didn't work. Really? To this day? Yeah. Really? I need to get Yeah. I don't know how to drive. Where'd you grow up? Here in the Upper city? Upper West. Uh, yeah, I know. Katie I got, didn't know who the who was until about no, six I weeks ago. No, I knew who the who was. I just confused them with fish, <laughs> oh, but I okay. knew who they were. Yeah. Wow. Or the you clash. Know, that's brave that you would admit that. I know, though. right? Especially with this guy as a co-host. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you admit that inside of Rolling Stone. Rolling Stone. He's oh, even, yeah. is even more brave. Well, I stand out. <laughs> makes me special. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about that movie, actually. In your movies, you have a lot of things that... Are, I would say unusual scenes like the you know the people having the party in the prison and Roger and me right that would be like you're kind of lucky to get something as insane as that right yeah. but a lot of your movies is all it, it the premise is just going off and filming something that's right in front of everybody's face that the, the news media doesn't cover right like right. you know somebody going into a Walmart and talking to somebody about what their employment plan is or um, you know going to visit a Scandinavian prison asking what you know how people live there I mean is there uh, I mean, is there just a scoop that's all around that, that people just aren't filming in the news? Yes, I mean, is every the, day, right? I mean, isn't that it's a, amazing? Yeah. Yes, it's 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 why and I'm so fed up with it. It's this podcast that, I'm, that I've started. I started today. It's just the first piece of a number of things I want to do, uh, creating my own media uh, online, uh, and to attempt to do the job 
that I see every day through my travels, through my own filmmaking, the, the job that's not being done. I'll give you an example from Roger and me. Um, there's a scene in there where a family is a hundred and some dollars behind in their rent. The eviction scene. The eviction scene. Mm-hmm. They're evicted on Christmas Eve by the deputy sheriff. We even try to give him the money mm-hmm. so he doesn't throw them out. I don't want. I don't want the scene in the movie. I don't. I'm not going to be an objective, you know, bystander yeah. to this. And and when we, the crew, we all pooled the money uh, together to, to pay the rent, and went to hand it to him. And he said, "You're handing money to an officer of the law, so that I don't do my job. You want to." Take a second and rethink this right. before I arrest you. Uh, okay, no problem. So he evicts the family. But you have never seen, and, be, and before Roger and me, nobody had ever seen a family being thrown out of their home where they literally carry the tree and all the presents out and throw it on the curb. The kids are there. They're crying. The mother is so upset. You've never seen that, and yet it happens, I would say, in most cities. And it ha- they work right up until the last minute. They don't work on Christmas Day, but they work on Christmas Eve. And I put that in the film, and people were just, I mean, so moved, so shocked by it. And I'm like, why? Why would you not think that this is happening? That it, it, and I'll tell you why. Local TV, it's the same all across this country. What's the Christmas Eve, the 6 o'clock or the 11 o'clock news on Christmas Eve at Channel 4, at Channel 7? Um, what is, it's the same three goddamn stories every Christmas Eve. It's... Um, uh, some do-good yeah. organization is making food for a Christmas dinner for the next day for the homeless, for the the poor. It's it's a, a the funny, weather report. The, yeah, the, well, that's the, the third one. Yes. Right, yeah, okay. So the second one is the they're at the mall where the reporter is kind of yucking it up that the guys last-minute yeah. shoppers and they're all guys, you know, are doing their last-minute uh, shopping. And then the third story is the weatherman comes in. Right. And it's he's got on the radar a sleigh and right. some reindeer. And they're tracking it. Right. <laughs> yes. They're tracking it for the little kids to watch. Santa's on his way now. He's done with Europe. He's crossing the Atlantic. Pit stop in Iceland or Greenland, depending on, you know, if it's a more modern sleigh. You know, you right. get a little farther. How much mileage? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's how we cover... Christmas Eve, and and then one of the networks is showing either White Christmas. It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Uh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, or the Home Alone Christmas. Yeah. Uh, one. It's pretty good. I just saw it with my friend's son. It's kind of good. Home Alone Two. Home Alone Two. Trump's in it. Oh yeah, we didn't let him watch that part. Yeah, you know a great movie is Gremlins Two. It, Trump's not in it, but it's about Trump. Uh, like the evil character uh, uh-huh. that the gremlins are trying to figure out how to go up against the evil uh, builder landlord. Um, it's such a genius film. If you ever, I mean, people know the first Gremlins, but yeah. Gremlins Two doesn't get its due. In the same uh, way that oftentimes the sequel really yeah. is actually better. Yeah, Wrath of Khan for Star Trek. Star Trek Two is better than hmm. Star Trek Godfather Two. Is a Godfather good one. is obvious. Yeah. Yes, Two is better than one. Oh, uh, yeah. European Vacation. Yes, that's good. What is that? Two European that, vacation is because it's one. vacation European. Then so European, yeah, European's the best. Anyways, but yes, yeah, but yeah. it's just don't reject the sequel. Is all right. I'm trying yeah. to right. encourage people to. Uh, yes, so I constantly see these things, and it drives me crazy that nothing is happening. I mean, my first film came out of the ten years of me railing against how General Motors was being given all these tax breaks. I go down to the city council meeting. I'd speak out against it. 
GM would take the tax break. They wouldn't create any new jobs. They would just use the free money that we were handing them to go build factories in Mexico or South America or whatever. What year did Roger and me come out? 1989. So 30 years ago, actually, as we sit here, this is Tuesday, it'll be 30 years this Friday. Wow. You came out of the alt weekly world, right? The, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. I, I started my own alternative newspaper in, in Flint, Michigan called the Flint Voice. Right. But you're kind of a pioneer because all weeklies are in terrible trouble now, right? And, yes. But you've moved on to document. Are documentaries going to take the place? Because there's, there's a lot of demand for it now, right? I mean, is it a way for, for alternative voices to get in front of audiences in the same way that alt, alt weeklies did? Because it's too bad because we still need those weeklies, I think. Yeah. Um, even if they're just online, uh, if it's if they can't afford the print version. But, yes, a lot of documentaries. Look, the documentaries these days that are exciting to watch are the ones that know how to tell a good story and are good at telling the story. So those do those do very well. I wish we had more documentaries that dealt with current issues that we're facing here in this country. We have a lot of documentaries that are very good at uh, going to other countries yeah. and showing the corruption, showing the the craziness, showing the death and destruction. Very little of that here. Um, I'm sure it's probably because they think people don't want to go to the movies or uh, turn on Netflix and watch what they can see, you know, two blocks away. And I'll, I think it's easier sometimes to see the story when it's not right in front of you. I mean, that's what is something that you do so well and, and what you guys were just talking about, how it's in our own backyard. Um, but sometimes I think that perspective of it People being don't want to escape country. to something they're seeing all the time, too. That's another yeah. thing. Yeah, no, I, I understand yeah. that. I think um, I made a film last year, Fahrenheit 11.9, um, 11-9 being November 9th, the day that Trump was announced that he was president. But we knew when we were making it that people are not going to want to go and sit in a movie theater after working hard all week and dealing with everything about Trump in the news. Now let's watch a two-hour movie about him. No. So, I mean, so there's not a lot of Trump in the movie. There's just enough. Yeah. Uh, but that, but the stuff with the Flint water and, and other things like that in the movie, kind of I wanted to show not so much – Trump. I'm concerned with yeah. how we got Trump. Right. He didn't fall out of the sky. He he. How did this happen? How do we make sure it doesn't happen again? I want to take care of those parts of our system that allowed Donald Trump to be in this position. Something I've never understand as a Midwesterner is why New York never took care of Trump. Why took care of him? Seriously. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it, it, that guy who the way he is was from Detroit or Pittsburgh or Milwaukee or any of a number of other places I could state, we, he never would have been foisted on the rest of you, the rest of the country. That He would have been dealt with. The fact that he got away with so much for so many years and all he was was tabloid entertainment to the people of New York. Yeah, he was a punchline for a upper, punchline. Upper, upper West Side. The Donald. Yeah. Right, yeah. the short-fingered Vulgarian, right? Yes, yeah. and, he wasn't, and he didn't come up with the Donald. That's the post of the Daily News came up with that, and he loved it. So, again, you were, you were very prescient about the last election. How do you sort out what's going on with the Democratic field this, this time around? And, I mean, you've, you've, you've said some things that were critical about the Democrats this, the, in, in this uh, election cycle. What's going to happen? And are, is there any chance at this point to, to have this be not a mess heading into the, the primary season? No. 
No, at this no, point. Not a mess? Absolutely not. This is going to be the biggest mess. We're not even prepared for what we're going right. to see here. Um, if, if I... If I were king of America, I know how I would be conducting things <laughs> right now. First of all, for the Democrats, you know what I'd be doing with them? Let's just say the last couple of debates, you know, every one of them had something good to say. Everybody had something good to say. And, and you, can find, you can find your candidate somewhere on that, on that stage. Um, but I, these debates, we don't need any more debates. We kind of know where everybody stands. You know, my recommendation would be a stadium tour in January. They, uh, well, domed because of the weather, but right. but do take the candidates. They all come out holding hands, you know. At the beginning, there's a little song and dance. There's something, you know. Uh, I'm not suggesting they do a Rockettes line, right, the, yeah. eighteen of them, but but come out and just get everybody fired up. You know, we don't know which one of us is going to be president, but one of us. You're looking at the next president right now on this stage, and we need to all get excited. We're all going to vote for whoever the winner is, and let's do this, folks. And, and, and then give them each 10 to 15 minutes, not talking sound bites, right. but present themselves to the American people and what they would do. I think that would be a much better way in the weeks leading up to Iowa and, and, and New Hampshire. Having said that, that will not happen, by the way, my suggestion. I think, honestly, here's the thing. I think if the election were held tonight across the country, um, Trump would win. Trump would win. Not in the popular vote. Oh, no. Hillary won by 3 million votes. Whoever the Democrat is next year is going to win by four to five million popular votes. The, the gap will be even larger. But it's California and New York. That's right. right. But nobody's staying home. Right. No, because too many Californians and New Yorkers always said, well, we, we don't really have a say in this. You know, we, right. we never get to, oh, they are going to have a say. They're going to want to have a say. They're going to want their, they will stay in line for three hours to vote next year in California and New York. And, and Democrats who live in uh, Texas and Louisiana and Alabama, where they would stay home before because what's the point? Uh, whenever Alabama's never going to go, they're going to be there. So the popular vote is going to be huge uh, for the Democrat. But I got to tell you, and I'm sure you've seen this, you've writing, written about it, that um, Trump has not lost his loyal base. No, they've gotten bigger. I they've think. gotten bigger and angrier yeah. and whiter and madder. And um, oh, no, no. He. I see it. I see it in Michigan. Even though we flipped it last November, we got we got rid of all the Republicans in Lansing. I mean, the the top, the governor, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, and attorney general. We replaced those four uh, with um, a black man, a single mom, a lesbian, and um, um, uh, and a woman who's the governor. So no white men, no white straight men anywhere around the levers of power. Safe space. Uh, save safe yeah, space. Safe yeah. space forever. Come to Michigan. Yeah. Move to Michigan. <laughs> because we literally have removed white men, angry white men, no longer have a fucking say in what's going on in Michigan. Now, there's still no legislature and all that. We yeah. still have some more work to do. But, but there's, this has been a good term. But still, I will tell you this. I think Trump right now would still win only because his base is so rabid, so unturnable all the time that good liberals have wasted in the last three years trying to convince their conservative brother-in-law yeah. that trump's nuts and he shouldn't that is such a waste do not spend another minute between now and next november trying to convince a trump voter to to change they can't be changed they can't be turned well but couldn't i mean isn't bernie's argument though yeah. that the, that you can reach some of those voters he's already reached them. They, the ones who are going to turn turned in that first year Right. And and I think I think yes, that's but now 
If you're still, think about this, if you're still with Trump after witnessing these three years, man, that's, I under I know, because I know a lot of these guys, the white guys who voted for him in Michigan, it's not because they liked Donald Trump. Right. Um, it's, 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 he represented a human Molotov cocktail that they got to throw into the system and, and blow it up because the system has screwed them. You know, I learned something today, Matt. <laughs> I think we learned a lot of some things. I think we learned a lot. It's true what they say every day. You learn something new. Uh, I learned what a great person to chat with Michael Moore is. Yeah, he's got a lot of stories. So, yeah, he's really, the, the podcast is great. I got to say, I listened to it. It was great. Um, and I think he's such an interesting character because he's always occupied this pl- this place in the American media landscape, but that it's not designed to have a person like him in it. Right. He's always had yeah. kind of like pseudo opposition, not even pseudo, he's an oppositional uh, political voice yeah. not within the Democratic Party and, you know, against the Republicans. Right. So the fact that he's carved out that career and he talked a lot about how he did that over the years, I think that's that's really, really been interesting. And, you know, he's still trying to he's still doing it, yeah. you know, which is which is cool. You know what? That chat with Michael Moore was so good. I think our listeners and viewers deserve to hear more of it. Hear more of it. To have it stretched out. Right. Yeah, exactly. They could hear more of it. They could if we give it to them, which we will. So what we're going to do for Christmas, uh, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all those things, is we're going to give you the gift of more Michael Moore. More Michael wow, Moore. Wow, amazing puns. Yes, Just so good. Just flying That's in all directions. Gift. And uh, so we're going to bring you the rest of the interview with Michael Moore next week. And we think you're going to like it and you're going to learn even more. Absolutely. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. Remember that from Men's I do warehouse? vaguely remember oh. that. So, yeah. Tune in next week. Yes. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.